This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi podcast. I am Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. What are we going to talk about today, Doug? We have a short episode today, and it's such a common question. I know you thought of it at some point, and I thought about it, and people just wonder, do I have enough to retire? So... Luckily, we've done a a pretty long episode on the 4% rule, which breaks down many of the ideas, which we're going to talk about in excruciating detail. It's a good episode, so check it out if you want more details. But do you have enough to retire? Do you remember when you first thought about this question, and how did you go about it? I do, and the way I went about it was the complete wrong way. I assumed that we spent $40,000 a year, and I do believe in the 4% rule. So I'm like, ah, we need a million bucks. And that was pretty much it. Like that's no more thought went into it. And where I went wrong was to not tally up our actual expenses, which turned out to be more than $40,000 per year. And I think if I remember right, you were having that bad day, that bad week at work, and you really wanted out. So you, you were maybe a little excited once you realized, hey, maybe I can retire. I was very excited. The fact that I remember that day, it was like, I should have wrote down the actual day. It was like the second week of October in 2012. But yeah, I, I was very excited. Like uh, finding Mr. Money Mustache was one of the inflection points of my life and learning about all of this sh- shit. And d- did you pull the 40K just because a million was a round number and that's the example that many people give? Or where did the 40 come from? Yeah, I probably did. I think... If I had to guess, I probably thought, ah, $3,000 is pretty good. And then I'll throw a little bit of a buffer in there. And this was assuming that we would pay off our house too. I since decided that paying off the house is not a good idea. And we we have a mortgage on purpose. We actually had a paid off house and we took on a mortgage, which is a whole other conversation that gets people very excited. So we won't talk about that today. But yeah, I... That's probably what I did. I pulled that number out of my keister, the 3000 bucks, a little bit of buffer, and that was it. And it turns out we could live on that, but it would be a sparse existence, and I don't want to. You wouldn't have like fancy bidets and stuff like that, perhaps? Exactly. No bidets. We'd have to cut back. The vacations would be like camping in the backyard, and the kids would have to... Uh, the kids like shopping at the thrift store, so I guess that wouldn't be an issue, but I don't want to buy underwear from the thrift store. you got to cut the line draw the line somewhere. So for for us, we didn't, we weren't as aggressively chasing Phi. In fact, we we never really aggressively did it. We just kind of tracked things and we're kind of on the right track. So less dramatic than your story and and many others since we just kind of eased our way into it really. But we didn't assume our expenses. We went back to our credit card statements and logged for you know the three previous years or f- whatever we had available. And we could see exactly what our expenses were. We do 90% of our spending through credit cards that we can easily get reports on and pull spreadsheets and categorize. So we very clearly knew what our expenses were. And sometimes it's pretty easy, right? Like if you have a cable bill and, um, 
you know, your mortgage, uh, insurance, like other things you could kind of count on cell phone bills, but it's the variable things where you got to check where maybe it's vacation, food, gas. Um, what are some other variable things like that? Those are the big ones, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Maybe just household expenses if your furnace breaks down or some shit like that. Oh, right. Yeah. So there's there's some wild cards in there. But yeah, if you don't go back and you just think, ah, you know, I make this much. Here's my take home pay. I bet I spend 3000 bucks a month. You could be wildly off, like not even close, especially if those variable expenses are extremely variable for you. Some people will have a different standard deviation or whatever, thrown in stat terms here, but I think that's the right one. So the 4% rule and 25X times your expenses is a great starting point. I mean, it got you on track. So the the problem is those variable expenses that I mentioned, but e- even further, and right now we're seeing it big time with gas prices are high. So the time that we're recording this, gas prices are through the roof and inflation has been high at least for the last, you know, nine months or a year or so where it started creeping up. And we just don't know how those are going to change, not just in a year, but in 10 years, we have no fucking idea what any of these pieces are going to look like. So, you know, 4% rule guideline, really, it's a great place to start from, but there's variables way outside of our control or knowledge or what anyone can predict. Yeah. The other thing to pay attention to, aside from the 4% rule, is what happens right after you retire. So I got very lucky. It turned out that I needed more money than I thought I needed, but the stock market was on a tear. It's more than doubled since I quit. And it did it in a very short amount of time, like three or four years, it doubled. But right now, let's say you retired a month ago and the stock market has dropped. I think we're down over 20% now. And that's, I don't know what the correct terms are, bear market correction territory. The issue with that is if you're withdrawing money when it's after a drop like that, you're taking out a greater percentage of your nest egg. So there's less left to compound for that long term. And that's what you're relying on. If you retire with a million dollars, you're not saying you're going to spend a million dollars. You're going to spend a lot more than that, but you're counting on the money to compound. And if you've got a bad event, like right now, you don't have as much money to rely on. And it changes everything completely. It's the opposite of my very fortunate situation. And I've heard people talk about hedging that by having, say, like two years of expenses in a separate account. So if there is a downturn like this, they don't have to touch their their main nest egg, for lack of a better term. They could hit this sort of quasi-emergency fund for if shit hits the fan in the first couple of years, you don't want to draw down anything and have that poor sequence of returns. You could just touch this money over here. Any thoughts on that? Is that a good hedge? Is that wasteful? Because technically it's not as efficient as it can be, right? Yeah, I think it is good. Right now we don't have any cash buffer. We personally don't because Mindy still makes money. So we have income. But if I was actually, if we were both retired and there was no income, I would definitely have that. The next question is how long? You kind of hinted at two years. I was actually researching this the other day. I was on the Wealth of Common Sense uh, blog, and he said, I believe the average downturn in recent history, we'll link to this in the show notes, by the way, was about 17 months where it goes back up to where it was before. I don't think you necessarily have to have the 17 months worth of money. It depends on your situation, your comfort level, but 
Yeah, I would definitely recommend having some kind of cash buffer. I know we're going to have at least six months, but maybe even a year. So if one of these events happens, we don't have to take money out at a poor time. So we're talking about the the dark side of it all, right? But the other variable and the thing that we don't know is in the future, if you start earning money again. So maybe you get into some fun hobby where you accidentally start earning money. Your blog brings in some cash, right? Yeah, the blog, another opportunity that came up as a result of me being retired is the co-working space I co-own. That thing's been about an 8 to 10% return every year, way more than the 4%. And there's no way I would have done that if I had a job because I wouldn't have had the time to do what I need to do to maintain that business. And it could be freelance writing or something very, very easy to get started with, maybe something that you are interested in anyway, and then you could turn it on and off kind of at your leisure. And I'm making it sound very easy, but I mean, you would have to do some work, of course, but you could also get like a part-time job. Let's say, well, we like beer. You know, what would be fun is to like pour beer and be a bartender, like on Sunday afternoons at some place. Yeah. Right. You just do it one day a week. You get to hang out. You have to show up on time, maybe put on different pants, um, like non-Costco pants or something like that. Like normal pants. Like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're fine. Costco's. Have you ever worn the Costco pants, Doug? I haven't. I haven't, to be fair. Your birthday's coming. Maybe you'll get Costco pants and a bidet for your birthday. <laughs> They go hand in hand. But but the point is, you potentially could earn some money and then it kind of evens things out, even if it's not a huge amount of money, if you're bringing in another, say, $1,000 per month because you're working part-time at some place that you actually enjoy the people that you're around, you like the work that you're doing, maybe it's kind of fun. And then you end up earning a little money, which completely changes the math and really eases the, um, it sort of softens any irregularities that, that may happen, especially the downturns. Yeah. And let's delve into that math for just a second. Let's say your numbers were the same as my, the numbers I mentioned a minute ago, which you think you need a million dollars to retire. So you need $40,000 a year. If you bring in that $1,000 a month, that reduces your 4% to 2.8%. If you do these Monte Carlo simulations online, there's Seafire Sim. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. A super cool calculator. Uh, if you do these calculators and you go from a 4% to 2.8%, I'm pretty sure it'll say it's a 100% chance of, of success, even over the very long term. And again, these are just guidelines. The thing I don't like about all these simulations is they're based on historical data. And I don't know what the future is going to be like, but I can tell you with absolute certainty that the returns of the future are going to be different from the past. They might be better, they might be worse. So all this is based on historical data. I think it's kind of silly to get to an exact number. But regardless, bringing in that $12,000 of income is going to change everything. And the other thing I'd say is I think sequence or sequence of returns risk are kind of overrated. Again, what that risk means is that there's a downturn pretty shortly after you quit working. If this really freaks you out, what's the best time to go back to your old job or your field? It's probably right after you quit working when you still have contacts and when you have skills. If you retired last month and you're shitting a brick about what's happening now, just go get your job back. Especially right now, there's never been a better time for workers. The power is in your hands. You can't find people to do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... Yeah, the math is very interesting. And you, 
if you're running into an issue, you're probably going to know like 15 years ahead of time before, like 15, 20 years before you actually hit an issue. So even if the job market shifts again, because this is kind of new, it definitely was different when we were working where you had to bend over backwards for your boss and like really do everything you, you could not to get laid off. Now it's like workers are leaving left and right. So it could shift again. But th the point is for any of this stuff, like the 4% rule gets you in the right ballpark. And then you have a lot of flexibility and there's a, there's a good chunk of money in there most likely. And you have a lot of years before you're going to actually run into the issue. So how often would you say, you know, go take a look at your funds, see your burn rate. You can make predictions about like what the market might do. So how often should people go take a look and see what's going on in their portfolio? Early in retirement, I think I would recommend doing it pretty frequently, maybe even on a monthly basis. Just And it depends how often you're pulling out money to, if you're pulling out money every month, which I think you should do. Your money should be left in there because if you pull out all your income or all the money you're going to live on at the start of the year, then that money isn't doing anything for you. I would pull it out as you go. I think you've got a greater chance of success that way. But yeah, I would probably check it at least every month if you're living close to your limits, I guess. If your goal was a 40000 and you only have a million bucks, I'd probably keep a pretty close finger on that number, at least for the first couple of years, just to make sure you're in a good place. And you haven't started drawing down at all, right? Because Mindy was working. Yeah, we have not drawn down anything yet. And I haven't either, but just talking about it psychologically, I think it would be tough. Like the first time you're you're drawing down, you're like, we've just been saving money for the last as long as we've been alive, basically. And now you're like, all right, let's start pulling it down. Do you do you think it would be a psychological issue for you guys? I, I think it would be tough. And I think that's why so many people are so fanatical about dividends, because you're not really touching your egg. You're just touching some of the money that it throws off. I think actually selling an asset would be a little bit harder, even though I'm pretty sure you'll end up more money doing that than versus being a dividend investor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Psychologically, it would be tough. You know, we're just talking hypothetically here and like the mechanics of it, but man, it would be a mind, sh mind shift, mindset shift. I thought you were going to say mind shit. I'm like, what the hell is a mind shit? You know, man, mind shits. All right. Well, anything else with um, 4% rule? Do I have enough to retire? Anything else along those lines? Yeah. So with a lot of things I do when I'm worried about something, Doug, in life is to go to the worst case scenario. So let's consider a really horrible scenario with with your withdrawals. Let's say you retire with a million bucks. The next day, there's a minor nuclear strike and your portfolio drops to $500,000. Now, you could be freaking out that you lost $500,000, and that's certainly a bad thing, but there's a lot of shit you could do with $500,000. You could put yourself through school again, get a really good education, retrain yourself to do something, and go back to work. And no one wants to do that, but it's not the end of the world. Or it might be the end of the world if there's a nuclear war. And in that case, who cares? We're all dead anyway. But I don't think, I think people should worry less than they do. Well said. Yeah, there's not, there's a lot of stuff out of our control and having, you know, 25 extra expenses puts you in a decent position, much better than a lot of other people. And it's a wonderful starting point. We don't know the future, 
but it certainly gets you moving in the right direction. Yep. So very good. Well, what else do you have going on today, Carl? What are you doing? I have these ugly orange beams in my house and I have this pretty toxic paint. There's all these warnings on it that you buy to cover up these beams because they're shiny and I don't want to sand them down. So it's called high adhesion paint. It's from Kills. But today it's going to be warm. I don't need to lose any more brain cells. I'm barely scraping by with what I have. But today I can open up the windows, put a fan in there and paint my beams without incurring any more brain damage, which is good. Nice. How about yourself, Doug? I have, uh, I got a live stream later. So we got the whole studio set up. So I'm going to do a live stream and I have my own YouTube channel. I don't know if people know that or not, but it's uh, just Doug Cunnington and I talk about affiliate marketing and stuff. So I'm going to do that. And then I've been uh, working on my talk for Camp Fi, which by the time this airs may have already happened. So yeah, I've been, I, I wrote it all out and I'm putting together the slides and such. And I probably, I, I want to go over it probably with my wife because she'll give me the, the hardest, most harsh criticism, you know? You know how they are. Yep. And then, um, yeah, hopefully it's it's good. And the, the most terrible thing, Carl, is my measuring stick is against your presentation because I saw it develop over time. And yours was hilarious. It's the one you did at Camp Fi and also at Economy. So I'm like, ah, I probably can't be that funny, but maybe I could be slightly entertaining. I don't know, Doug. You're pretty smooth. I think you're going to do a great job. It won't be the same as mine, but it'll be just as good just in your own way. Thanks. And I told you earlier today in our other recording that I bought a bidet, so I hope to be doing... I haven't installed it yet, but I hope to do that today, and I'll be doing a live stream later on today <laughs> as well. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to do video on, on uh, Instagram so people can see? <laughs> like, How far does it shoot? Do you know? I looked at the Amazon reviews and that's actually a concern. You don't want to test it out because it'll, if you've got good water pressure, it'll spray your bathroom. Nice. Which is good. You want that you pressure. You want that pressure, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You want it. Is, it. is it like a stream or is it more like a spray? Like, is it like where you put your thumb over the hose and it's like, like that? I think it's a stream. It's like a supersized water fountain, just this jet into your, between your cheeks. And then do you, can you aim it and stuff? I don't know. I was kind of hoping so. It would be kind of like, I've never used a bidet before, but I've always envisioned them as being like the final scene of Star Wars 4, where he's got to get the missile into that hole in the Death Star. So I thought if you could gamify bidets, it might change everything. Like you'd have a little joystick and you see a little screen there with a little like, yeah. you've got a target thing and you're aiming like red zero liter. I have lock. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Actually, I, I feel like that is a thing. One of my friends was telling me about his bidet and I think he was saying something like that, but it'd be cool if it was like an actual game you download on your phone and you aim for other people. And that's how you get points and yeah, gamify the whole thing. Man, we could have connected bidets and we could control other people's bidet. Like today our listeners are going to be able to control my bidet. And yeah, I think you're onto something there, Doug. The internet of things, right? Yeah, yeah. I, and I think the camera placement will be super important. <laughs> it's odd. It's odd what we talk about. This started with, do I have enough to retire? And we ended up here again. <laughs> it's pretty good. All right. So do you have enough to retire? Probably. You'd probably be all right. I had enough to buy a bidet, which is a luxury <laughs> purchase. 
All right. This is awesome. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's it for today. Carl, anything else? I'm good. Thank you. All right. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five, and uh, actually we don't give high fives in in person, so the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.